Marijuana smoking, experts point out, can make a helpless addict of its victim within weeks, causing physical and moral ruin and death. The first legally sold marijuana here goes to an Iraqi war veteran. A new insurance study out this week looked at car crashes in several states that allow the use of recreational marijuana. You're a doc. Before. You've studied this. You've talked to the researchers. You're right. saying marijuana can kill cancer cells. Who taught you how to do this stuff? You, all right? I learned it by watching you. Marijuana is illegal under federal law. States have legalized recreation. It's no wonder you can't open your eyes. What do you expect doping yourself up with this wrong stuff? What do you know about pot? All right, good morning. You are listening to The Cannabis Hour, a bi-weekly radio program where we discuss all things cannabis. I'm your host, Jen Procacci. Thank you so much for tuning in and joining us today. Hey, so today on The Cannabis Hour, I have a very important and, dare I say, positive and exciting policy update from Michael Katz, the executive director of the Mendocino Cannabis Alliance. And that will be followed by an interview with Dan Pomerantz, the founder of Rebel Grown. They were the first place winners in the Sun Grown and Breeders' Cup categories at the 19th Annual Emerald Cup Awards, which just happened last weekend down in Richmond. All right. I'm here with Michael Katz, the executive director of Mendocino Cannabis Alliance, and he is joining us today to share some extremely important and I hear exciting updates to cannabis policy. Michael, are you here with us? Yes, Jen. Thanks so much for having me this morning. Uh, It's a great pleasure to be here to be able to communicate with the community uh, what's been going on lately and the significant changes that are afoot. Wonderful. Yes, Michael, thank you so much for making the time to join us. And I'm so excited to hear what you have to say. I hear it's big news. So please go ahead and dive right in. Certainly. So uh, on Monday and Tuesday of this week, Uh, There were a series of meetings on Monday, first, the general government committee, and then a board of supervisors meeting, a special meeting that dealt specifically with cannabis items. And then on Tuesday, there was the final discussion of one of the cannabis items from Monday, where there was a vote. And that was the ordinance streamlining agenda item that was adopted. So Basically, the three items that are really significant to how things are going to be changing here in Mendocino County related to cannabis permitting were around the LJAGP grant or the Local Jurisdiction Assistant Grant Program that we had discussed on the air many times in the past. Uh, It also was an item about an EIR and environmental document preparation, and we'll get into that. And then finally, it was the actual ordinance streamlining, which basically changes the structure of our local processing from a cannabis permit to a cannabis cultivation business license that is more in line with the ministerial nature of our local program and then puts the site-specific CEQA review component responsibility on the state. 
Uh, and so this is a really major shift in how processing of applications and thinking about applications at the local level has gone. And what it's going to do is significantly streamline uh, people's ability to be issued these licenses. Um, and simultaneously, we're going to be doing this work on an EIR and environmental document preparation through this grant program uh, in a way that is really a response from the state to our request to support our local operators who are having so much trouble trying to move through this process. So um, basically when February 8th happened and we sent out the letter to the governor, uh, to Governor Newsom and Director Elliott of the DCC, uh, indicating that we were extremely concerned about the possibility that hundreds of our local operators through statutory deadlines would lose their provisional state licenses. And now the process that has been set up has removed this cliff of a deadline of July 1st, 2023 from the reality of local Mendocino cultivators and created uh, a much more streamlined process to get through to their annual license. That is incredible. I mean, wow, I know this is just huge news. I mean, as a cultivator myself, I feel incredibly relieved. And I just know that this is going to be positive for so many of our cultivators that have held on miraculously until this point in time. So there's lots to pick apart here, but I guess my first question is how will folks go about utilizing the LAJCP funding to help with this process? And just what can you say about that grant program in general? And before sure. you answer that question, I do want to clarify for my listeners that the letter that Michael is referencing um, was a sort of SOS letter sent from um, MCA, the Mendocino Cannabis Alliance, to the cannabis department. Was that in, that was in February, Michael, is that correct? Yeah, so February 8th uh, was the day we sent the letter, and that letter and uh, all of our policy uh, information since then can be found at our website, which is mendocannabis.com. And MCA is part of a state-level advocacy organization called Origins Council. And so we worked very closely together um, with our team there and with the team here at MCA to put together a comprehensive documentation of the significant challenges that we had faced as a regulated industry here in Mendocino. And uh, here we are just a little over three months later and the blockages that we had identified there, uh, we really struck a chord uh, and the state and the county uh, were able to come together and work together in a way that hadn't been done before and create this pathway for our local operators. And I do want to say before we move on, and I know I've said this on this show before, that while we are going to be celebrating, in a sense, this significant victory and this progress for our locally licensed operators, we do understand and lament the fact that there have been so many folks 
who have not been able to stay in the program to this point and who have been forced to leave the regulated market because of how burdensome the last six years have been and how challenging staying in the regulated market has been. And so it is our commitment at MCA and at Origins Council to continue working to make the regulated market as accessible as possible for everyone who wants to participate. And we know that the the good news that we're sharing now doesn't make up for what has happened in the past, but it does signal a significant shift forward. And it, it shows that our community is actually now in the best position we've been probably since regulation to be able to stabilize the remaining licensed operators in Mendocino County and hopefully build from there a much more supportive uh, and um, less complicated and less onerous process for people to engage in the regulated market. So just really wanted to say that because we have nothing but love and respect uh, and care for the people in our community who have not been able to maintain in the regulated market. And, you know, this is not to diminish their experience in any way. And we are going to continue fighting for them. Uh, that's that is our mission. Yeah, thank you, Michael. That is huge to always recognize and um, make sure that we are always just recognizing that fact. I mean, there are so many people that haven't been able to make it um, this far in the process for very valid reasons. So, and that is very heartbreaking for our community. So thank you for reaffirming the commitment that MCA and Origins Council has to those community members and to our cannabis community members who are in that boat. Absolutely. Yeah, we're going to, yeah. we keep fighting for, for everyone, want to make this accessible as possible. So along those lines, now we can, you know, move into kind of the, the de- a little bit more of the details of these, these shifts. So to your question about how does the LJAGP program, how are our local operators now going to interface with that? And so there were a couple of major shifts in uh, how that program is being considered and the way that it's going to be operated that was adopted on Monday. So um, folks may remember that there was an estimate of uh, at the time when the program was first being introduced, roughly $10.5 million of direct grant funds was identified for our local provisional licensees to help transition them to their annual license. So as part of the state coming in to help with the CEQA component of the state licensing, uh, they asked for the county to pause on the expenditure of the full grant amount, which was $17.5 million. Uh, There had been about $1.5 million spent on a contract for contract planners, which is still very valuable, and we'll get into that in a little bit. Um, And there have been some other expenses as well. Um, And there was the need to revise this agreement uh, in line with the new plan that was developed between the county and the state. So uh, a portion of that direct grant funding is still going to be allocated to licensees directly. And right now that's identified as $4.8 million uh, in direct grant funding uh, for the local licensees who are provisional license holders moving to their annuals. Additionally, 
the LJAGP funding is going to be covering the EIR, the Environmental Impact Report, that will now be used moving forward to base the site-specific review on for our licensees. So there is a budget of up to $5 million identified for the creation of the EIR, but also for the creation of any environmental documentation required for any local licensee to be able to get their annual license through this process. So no longer will individual operators who take advantage of this particular pathway, and there are two current pathways, we'll get into that in a moment, the current, this pathway with going through the EIR, those folks will not have to pay for their environmental document that'll be handled by the company doing the EIR using the LJAGP grant funds. So that's going to be a big relief to a lot of people who did not know how they were going to approach their environmental paperwork, who were expecting uh, grant funds. They didn't know if they were going to come in or not. So this is a, a big relief uh, for a lot of people. Um, at the same time, there is the Appendix G process that we've all heard about. Uh, up till now, which is the process for our existing, the previously existing ordinance, how folks would have been moving to their uh, annual license. And so what we've identified with the county is that it seems that there will be the opportunity for folks who have already submitted their Appendix Gs or folks who are even close to submitting their Appendix Gs who for whatever reason want to continue along that pathway, they will be able to. So those people will not have to wait until the EIR is complete to have their site-specific environmental paperwork done under this new program. They can still move forward so they won't, like the value that they, or the resources that they've put into their CEQA documentation mm -hmm. is not lost. That can still be used uh, to get people forward. So there's going to be, we predict a lot less people who will go that route. But at this point, there's somewhere in the neighborhood of, I think, 42 people who have already submitted Appendix Gs. There are probably a lot more who are very close, but have been waiting to see what's happening. And now they'll have to make the decision or they'll get to make the decision. Do we want to complete our Appendix G and go that way through the county with the planners and the department uh, doing that processing? Or do we want to wait until the EIR is complete? and go through that process instead. So that kind of uh, the, the LJAGP revision and the adoption of the EIR, those were two separate agenda items, but combined, they really provide not only the mechanism for people to get their environmental paperwork done and to get the EIR done, but also according to state statute, because the EIR has now been contracted, that is what extends our CEQA deadline of July 1st, 2023 to July 1st, 2024, with the potential of an extension to December 31st, 2024. And this is the date period that the contract for the EIR has been put in place for, and that's been overseen and will be managed by the DCC. So we know the state is okay with this. The county is okay with this. And so this is like a, a really incredible pathway for people who have had those questions. How are we going to move forward? Now we can say, here is how people have a pathway to move forward to their annual licensure. 
Oh my gosh, that is just so incredibly exciting and relieving to hear after so many years of struggling along faced with, you know, we have overcome a great many challenges with the county, I feel, um, when it comes to the cannabis regulations, but this was always the looming guillotine hanging over all of our heads. It felt like that we didn't know how we would handle or get around or accomplish really. So it's, it's absolutely amazing that this is happening. Yeah. And, and one additional detail that adds to the excitement and really, I think, illustrates the progress that we have made as a community and working together with the county and the state over this last couple of months since the letter came out, you know, looking back and remembering people making predictions that as few as 10% of the applicants to the process might get through to annual licenses. And then having the former director of the program saying that maybe between two and 300 people might get through to their annual licenses. But this agreement for the EIR accounts for the uh, contractor doing between five and 700 environmental documents which by all accounts are the remaining people in the program. And so there's up to $5 million for that EIR and environmental paperwork. And that's not to say that it will all be spent on that. That's not a goal number. That's, uh, you know, most expensive possibly, but hopefully it will be less than that. And then hopefully we would be able to then redirect some of those funds back to direct grants as well. We, we can't say if that's going to happen yet, but the fact that those conversations are happening and that these mechanisms have been put in place just creates a completely different atmosphere and a sense of hopefulness for the uh, provisional licensees to know that those concerns have been and are being addressed now by the state and the county. Absolutely. That's just absolutely incredible. Now, I want to break down this EIR situation a little bit for our listeners who might not be too well versed in uh, that process or maybe don't understand what we're talking about here. So am I understanding correctly that the county and the state will now work together to do EIRs for all of the properties that have provisional licenses here in Mendocino County? So there will be an EIR done. A countywide EIR. A programmatic EIR. So it will focus on the cannabis program and it will focus on both cultivation for phase one and phase two, but also for phase three. So the existence of this EIR will also reduce the onerousness of phase three applicants when they when it's time for them to go through their site-specific review. But with this grant funding that's available, that is only available for the phase one and two operators who are currently provisional licensees who need to transition to their uh, annuals. And so each individual site will require its own individual documents. So that means that some sites might get notice of exemptions. Some sites get might get their own mitigated negative declaration. Um, but that will really be determined based on the results of the EIR and then the individual site-specific review. So some of those might be less complicated. Some of them might be more complicated, but that's why the budget range is wide to account for uh, you know, any number of occurrences with any number of operators. And the the hope is that and the, the plan is that with these resources and with the contractor who has experience in this arena, that we'll be able to get 
through all of that within the deadlines that have now been shifted. Amazing. So, and who is the contractor that is executing this? So they're called Ascent Environmental, and uh, it's really interesting. They have done uh, EIR work in this arena in Humboldt, uh, I believe in Trinity as well. So they're one of the few companies in the state that has a bunch of experience in doing this and, um, you know, in also preparing the environmental documents. And so the county was able to uh, you know, forego the normal bid process because this is a uniquely qualified vendor. They're, they're like the only vendor who can do what needs to be done in the amount of time that it needs to be done. So normally there could be a much longer RFP process where the county puts out, hey, we need somebody to do this. And then multiple bids have to come in and they have to consider it. But because of the nature of the the emergency and the time sensitivity of this, and the, the ordinance revision even that went into streamline to the business license that was uh, adopted as an urgency ordinance, which means it goes into effect or went into effect immediately yesterday instead of having to wait for additional time. So that just further illustrates that everyone involved has understood the time sensitivity of dealing with this. And so just, uh, you know, Supervisor Mulhern said it best, I think, uh, in the meeting uh, where she said, we've made more progress in the last 60 days than in the last six years. And I think that each one of these pieces put together really does show not just that that has happened, but it shows that there has been the will and the willingness for these different groups to come together, identify the issues or, you know, uh, come together around the issues that had been identified and say, how can we really address these in a meaningful way for the cultivators of Mendocino? And, and that's really where we are today. Absolutely incredible. It, and I would agree with Supervisor Mulhern. We have made more progress, it seems like, in a moment than we did over a great long period of time. So I hope the winds are shifting for the cannabis community in general and blowing us into some calmer seas when it comes to our licenses and everything like that, and hopefully the market in general. Now, I want to talk about the transition to the business license and how that will affect everyone. Um, but before we move on to that topic, you know, what advice do you have for cultivators in the program now? Or are there any obvious actions folks need to take that hold provisional licenses for cultivations um, in regards to this new information and this shift that has come to light? Or do we just sit back and wait for these things to roll out? Well, I think, you know, I think it's a combination of things. I think for understanding that there are going to be these two pathways of the Appendix G that's still an option and of this EIR uh, waiting for that to happen, folks are going to want to see, you know, where have they been in their Appendix G process? How close are they, they to finishing that? You know, do they want to just finish that now or do they want to wait? And everybody's going to be able to make the decision that works best for them. Um, you know, with that, I don't, there's not really going to be a, uh, in terms of like, people aren't going to have to apply new for the business license versus the permit. It's really the, 
anyone who was in the permit application process is now in the business license application process, but that application process has become so much less onerous than the permitting process was that we expect those to kind of roll out in a much more expeditious fashion. But that, you know, that hasn't happened yet. Uh, there's still a lot of question marks about timing, but the key takeaway is that because this July 1st, 2023 deadline has now disappeared for our community of licensed local operators, they don't have to make those decisions or worry about dealing with all of that in the next month or two. There is time to figure it out. Um, and the department is going to be, uh, I'm confident in saying that the cannabis department is going to be putting out information about how these different things will be working as soon as they have it. But it's important for all of us to remember that this change was literally adopted on Tuesday and, um, you know, in a very short amount of time and the, there's the willpower to implement it, but the, it's going to take a minute to, to get all the details worked out. Uh, and we will be continuing to work with the department on how, uh, you know, to streamline procedures internally that aren't ordinance related. Um, and they have just expressed a, a real willingness to, to be open and responsive. And I think that we've been hearing people are, seeing that type of responsiveness, not just from the department, from, from the contract planners. Um, and so, you know, I do think that as people are evaluating what their best options are, it's going to be on a case-by-case -case basis. But the fact that we have options and we have this flexibility means that we're in a much better position than we were uh, until this point. Fantastic. I couldn't be happier to hear this news, Michael. Excellent. Well, you know, it, it is really great news. Uh, as we said, it's it's tempered by the, the path we've taken to get here. And there there's there's some other there's one more thing that I want to bring up that'll temper the good news a little bit, but I think yeah, it's really ahead. important for people to remember and that we don't want to lose sight of is that you know we did have that significant tax reform package passed, uh, but unfortunately, because of a lot of competing factors the 2022 tax year was not able to be included in that package. And so what that means is that the 2022 tax year true up, which is due on May 31st, 2022, is right around the corner. So there's a week from today that that true up is due. Simultaneously, for anybody who had back taxes that was planning to enter the payment program that will remove their penalties and interest, signing up for that program, the deadline to sign up is also May 31st. So one week from today is a major tax deadline and staying uh, you know, uh, up to date on the taxes is a very important thing for us to move forward and maintain this goodwill that we have generated here with the county. So, you know, we encourage everybody to remember that we'll be putting reminders out um, as a reminder to folks who are equity operators, anyone who had submitted a waiver for their taxes up until April 26th, the department has indicated that all of those waivers will be funded. So if you got your waiver in by April 26th, you will be funded. Additionally, the anyone who submitted a direct grant application that had uh, to the department by uh, April 26th will also be funded. That's some, another piece of good news. The department indicated that there is enough grant funding left to fund all the submitted direct grant and waiver applications. 
one thing that we have advocated for, and I don't know if it's going to happen because there's not a lot of time, but we're really hoping it's possible, is that for folks who now know they're going to have their direct grants funded, it would be great if there would be an option for them to redirect a portion of that funding to cover their 2022 true ups if that is something that they need to do or would want to do. We don't know if that's going to be possible because of the very short period of time, but we are hopeful. And as we mentioned, the department and the county are really trying to provide as much support as possible. Um, so we will keep posted, people posted if that is something that can happen. But everyone should assume for right now that uh, they should just plan on getting their 2022 true ups and signing up for the uh tax payment plan for anything in arrears from 2018 to 2021, get that all sorted by May 31st. Wonderful. Thank you for that very clear update about that. That is some very useful information for our operators to know about here. And one more thing I believe we wanted to discuss was an exciting event coming up at the Brambles on May 28th. That is this weekend. Would you like to tell us a little bit about that? It's going to be a real good time. Yes, more fun. Excellent. We get to land on, we get to end on fun. This is Always. a great move. Well, well strategized. So yes, we're having a really exciting all day event in Anderson Valley. Thanks to generous MCA members and incredible Mendocino community members, uh, Jim Roberts and Brian Atkinson of the Bohemian Chemists, the Madrones and the Brambles. Uh, from 12 to 6, we will be having a craft cannabis marketplace uh, at the Madrones, powered by the Bohemian Chemist, where we're going to have 15 or more of our incredible local small batch craft cultivators uh, with products available for folks to enjoy. There's the on-site consumption lounge. There's Wixen Restaurant that has incredible food. And there'll be live music and just a really great time uh, to celebrate uh, our local craft cannabis. And then we will be going from there at 7.30 down to the Brambles for a screening of Tending the Garden, which is a beautiful documentary about regenerative farming that features Mendocino's own radical herbs and folk life farm. The filmmakers will be there. Uh, we'll have concessions. We'll have uh, you know a really beautiful time. The Brambles is a gorgeous location for anyone who hasn't been there. And it's a great opportunity for... MCA members and non-MCA members alike to come out to celebrate, to enjoy our local craft cannabis and to, you know, basically celebrate some of these wins that we've been having and really come together as a community and, and you know, look towards the brighter future that we have ahead and, uh, and really come together as, as one, one community. So really looking forward to that and invite our friends, uh, our friends from Humboldt to come down and anybody who's listening, you're all welcome to join us at the craft cannabis market. May 28th, and then Tending the Garden. Tickets are available at on Eventbrite, or you can go to mendocannabis.com, and there's information about it right there on the homepage, and we hope to see people come out and, and have some fun with us. Awesome, Michael. Thank you so much. And speaking, uh, uh, speaking about our friends from Humboldt, up next, I have the awesome folks over at Rebel Grown. 
coming on to join us on the air here, and we're going to be discussing their exciting first place win in the 19th annual Emerald Cup that just happened. Michael, we were both there together. We hung out a little bit, and I know we discussed how awesome it is that the Emerald Cup has continued every year, despite the challenges that have been faced by this industry. So I just want to give a really big shout out to Tim and Taylor and everybody that makes that happen over there. It is just so much work. Nikki does a wonderful job decorating. You have all the countless judges who spend so much time and energy consuming these wonderful products to let us know what's up with the best. Is there anything that you just want to say about what happened at the Emerald Cup really quick to help us transition over to our interview with Rebel Grown? Oh, absolutely. First of all, congratulations to Rebel Grown, obviously, and our friends in Humble, uh, Johnny Casali at Huckleberry Hill Farms and Jason over at Ridgeline. Um, you know, it was really great to see so many members of our community take home so many awards at the Emerald Cup. It's certainly something we're all used to, but it continues to reaffirm the the quality of our products. Uh, you know, our, our friends from Humboldt did really great. We had a really strong showing from Mendocino County with many victories. Uh, I believe six of the top 10 sun-grown winners were from Mendocino uh, and some great collaborations uh, with our friends in Humboldt uh, to win uh, some of those awards as well. So, yeah, the, the quality has never been the question. Uh, and uh, it's, it's our honor and our privilege to be able to, to participate in this event and to celebrate our, our craft and to then be able to enjoy it with our community. So do some of that. Come out May 28th. We'll see you at the market and uh, look forward to talking to you all soon. I am here with Dan Pomerantz, the owner of Rebel Grown up there in Southern Humboldt and the big first place winners of the Sun Grown category for the 19th annual Emerald Cup. Dan, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Are you here with us on the air? Yep. Yeah, I'm here. And thanks. Thanks for the invite to join the show. Of course. Thank you for taking the time to join us. And you, where exactly is Rebel Grown located? Sure. So our farm is in Southern Humboldt. It's east of the 101, east of Garberville um, in the Palo Verde, which is uh, an old subdivision from the um, late 70s. Wonderful. Awesome. And I'd love to know all about Rebel Grown. And also, I want to talk about what it was like for you to take home the first place award for this year's Emerald Cup. And before we get started on that, I'd love to ask you something I ask all my interviewees, which is what is your personal relationship with cannabis? Wow. Um, yeah, I mean, my personal relationship with cannabis is one of the, you know, strongest relationships that I've that I've had. You know, um, I've been smoking for um, over 25 years and been growing or at least trying to grow for the better part of, of 25 years. And, you know, I just kind of look at it as cannabis is kind of like a sidekick on my journey through life. And that's kind of how it is. It's, it's not there at, at every second, you know, um, I don't smoke like tough all day long, but yeah, I think cannabis is really, um, you know, the key to kind of balance for me. So yeah, very strong relationship. That's beautiful. That's really wonderful. 
And I imagine if you've been in the community for so long, you have a pretty long history uh, with the Emerald Cup. And I know that you've placed before. So do you want to tell me a little bit about what your relationship with the Cup is like and how long you've been entering for? Sure. Yeah, I I love the Emerald Cup. I kind of call myself the self-proclaimed biggest fan of it. Um, The first one that I got to attend was 2011, which was the last year that they had it at Area 101. And it was just a really special night because... You know, I first moved to California and came out in 2009 and and then, you know, moved out for good 2010 and, um, you know, had just been up in the hills working and meeting a few neighbors here and there and a few people, you know, in town. But I had never been in one place and had the whole feel of the actual Northern California Emerald Triangle cannabis community before. And that, you know, that year, the last time they had it, you know, I actually wrote an article about it that was published in Grow Magazine and it's on our website. So yeah, I love the Emerald Cup. I've been entering since then um, in the 215 days, just trying to support it and and sponsor and, you know, vend at those events that they had in December. Um, So to me, it's kind of, what's funny, it's it's just a weed competition. I get that, but it's been a goal of mine for over 10 years to maybe one day win first place. So we've, we've finally done that. Yeah, it's a huge moment. And what was that like for you when you found out that you had won first place and, you know, you get to go up on the stage and you're there in front of so many community members that you've known for so long? Yeah, I mean, it was a really, you know, big and and powerful moment, you know, a lot of emotions. We've been trying, you know, our best to kind of showcase our herb for a long time. Um, And we've come close. We've came in second a couple of times. It was bittersweet. You know, my my partners, Cully and Rachel, they run the day of, of our farm. And so they grew that weed, you know, my hands didn't physically grow that weed, theirs did. And they they didn't come down for the event because they were planting depths and amending full terms and taking care of their animals and farming, you know. So I'd wish that they had been there, you know, for that moment. Um, but yeah, I mean, when, uh, you know, I knew that our double OG chem was, was grown really well and it's really good tasting herb. And when they didn't call it and it came down third and second, you know, I figured that we hadn't won. And so when they called out first place, I just kind of sat there for a few seconds and and took it in because it was so crazy. But yeah. Yes, a huge congratulations to you and awesome that you could be there to represent the other people on your farm, because, you know, we all know what that reality is like. Um, It's really hard this time of year, especially in this economy, to make the journey to get down to these events. So I'm just glad that somebody from your group could be there. And do you want to tell us a little bit about that strain that won the double OG chem and then also a little bit about the folks that helped you grow it? Sure. Yeah. Um, The double OG chem is it's really special to me. I guess it's what we're the most known for. And it's not that I like to be known for one thing, but, you know, I started my breeding programs in California in 2010 and um, the double OG chem, um, the original mother was an OG chem plant from a seed that I planted in 2010. And so um, on top of, you know, me having the history going back that long with that line and and working different generations, I had passed on that clone um, to Kevin Jodry, who used to run Wonderland Nurseries. And it was kind of like a staple for a lot of people that would buy clones for him. So, you know, that cut has been grown by a lot of folks. And so to win with something, you know, what, 14 years later, that's the descendant of that, which was a seed selection in 2018. It's just good to be recognized that what my perception of really stellar, amazing weed is, is, is being recognized for that. And it's basically just, 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's basically a, a, a clone that we selected from seed in 2018. Um, and that year we actually entered it and it came in second as a seed plant and won the Breeders' Cup. But it just has that really incredible blend of like, you know, OG Kush and Chemdog with a little hint of diesel. And it just has a really strong nose. It transfers really well to the flavor, you know, all the way to the end of the joint. And it's just kind of, you know, it's like it's close to that. If you can only have one thing to smoke on a desert island for the rest of your life, it it kind of checks a lot of those boxes. Um, so that's that's kind of the background on that. And then, yeah, Cully and Rachel, um, they, they run the day to day of my farm. Um, they've been with me and we've been working together now for eight years. And um, when I started having, you know, kids, you know, our neighborhood, we used to have a kid's school that was supported by the community. We had a full time teacher and, you know, other other people in the neighborhood. A lot of the moms helped out. And a lot of my friends that were the landowners back when I ran other people's places, they were all raising their kids in the community. Um, and over time, as you know, people were really successful and 215 started to kind of wind down, a lot of people moved out of the community or their kids got older. Uh, so by the time that I had, you know, family of my own, we would have been the only people up there raising kids. And, you know, I, I decided to focus more on growing this brand and trying to get this message to the people and get our weed to the people and, and show something that we we think is really special. And so Cully and Rachel kind of, you know, I've, I've passed them the torch and, you know, they've become some of the best weed farmers in, in Southern Humboldt County. Um, but what's really important to them is, you know, the lifestyle of that community. It's mostly really small homesteaders, you know, we're off grid, you know, some of the people in the neighborhood are tied to the grid, you know, we're not. And so I think it's just that lifestyle of like, you don't bother anybody and you're not going to get bothered, but you take care of the land. And it's like, if you do all those things, you can kind of do whatever you want. That's always kind of been the mentality of, of that neighborhood. Um, you know, so yeah, I mean, you, the way that they cultivate is their own, you know, methods that have been developed from, you know, my soil mixes that I've been building and, and developing since I was really 14 years old. Um, you know, our, our focus is kind of organic and diversity. So um, always about the, the cleanest, most natural, you know, ingredients that we want to put into the soil and put into the plants, but also by using so many different diverse sources of things that we use less of all of them. So less is more, but more diversity. But yeah, they're 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 really great and and loving the life up there and and holding it down for Southern Humboldt. That's really awesome, and thank you for sharing some of your cultivation practices with us. I always love to know about that, and wonderful to hear that a woman is so involved on your grow team. I really love that as well. As a female cultivator myself, I always want to shout that out. So word up to Rachel, and sure. also I know that the um, double OG chem took home first place in the breeders cup as well, which you had just mentioned or the um, breeders category at the Emerald cup. And that's really special. I don't know if anyone has ever taken first place for sun grown and first place in the breeders category as well. So do you want to talk about that really quick? Sure. And, you know, really quick, just to touch on Rachel, you know, female aside, Rachel is one of the best growers in Northern California. Um, the way that she, you know, Cully and Rachel as a team, like, you know, she's really passionate about the plants. And if I'm going to have someone running my farm and, and representing me, like it can't just be someone who's about money. And so she has a very special relationship with our plants. She runs the nursery. She even takes notes for me about phenotype selections and plant characteristics. You know, she's an amazing breeder of her own and, you know, does awesome selections every year. Um, so yeah, she's, she's really amazing. And in terms of the breeder's cup, yeah. Um, you know, the way that I got started, um, 
you know, is I really started a seed company back in 2011. And, you know, we're, we're selling all this weed and growing all this medical cannabis. But to me, it was really cool to kind of get seeds out into the community and start getting feedback. And so I actually started the first seed company in Humboldt that was available at medical dispensaries. Uh, back in 2011, I started, you know, offering my seeds to Humble Patient Resource Center. And so we really got started, you know, more for sharing our seeds because everybody was growing weed and everybody's sharing and selling weed. But the seeds to me was a, a much more special connection. And so the Breeders' Cup, <clears throat> for those who don't know, it's whoever came closest to first place and bred the thing that they won with. And we actually, you know, I've won the Breeders' Cup in 2018 and in uh, and last year in 2022, but those were with second place finishes, you know, and so, yeah, winning it with first place and getting both at the same time is just, I guess, just a special, you know, recognition. Wonderful. Well, Dan, um, if our listeners are interested, and I, I think they definitely should be, where could they get their hands on some of this double OG cam? Sure. So I know, you know, all my stuff is distributed through Redwood Roots, and that's a small, you know, second generation distributor out of Southern Humboldt. You know, all the farms and brands that are represented by Redwood Roots are local in that community for anywhere from two to five generations. So it's a big honor for, you know, for me, who's a guest in that community, even though that I've been there for, you know, the better part of 14 years to be repped by them. And um, I know, let's see, Mercy Wellness usually has our stuff. I'm trying to think in Mendo. Um, I know there was some stuff that was just delivered to the Cloverdale spot. That's a little bit south. Um, I'd have to get a better accurate list. Um, awesome. Thank you. And do you have an Instagram? And I know you do have a website, so our listeners can maybe find out a little more there too and connect with you if they want to. Yeah, sure. Um, our our website's just rebelgrown.com. Uh, it's a bit outdated, but if you check out the cultural section, you know, you can find a little history about our story. And my Instagram is kind of, it's, uh, it's rebelgrown, but with no vowels. So it's just R-B-L-G-R-W-N. Awesome. Thank you, Dan. And again, a huge congratulations to you and Cully and Rachel, the team over there at Rebel Grown for bringing home the big first place win, not only in the Sun Grown category, but also in the Breeders' Cup. Totally awesome. We're really proud of you guys. Awesome. Thank you, Jen. Thanks for yes. having me. You're welcome. And that has been this week's edition of the Cannabis Hour. Thank you so much for joining us. And I will be back two weeks uh, from today with another show for you all. So thanks for tuning in and have a beautiful day. This has been a production of Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. KZYX, Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ, Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. You can find more content like this on our website at kzyx.org and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thank you for listening.